Jeff bye week is over. As far as we know, there have been no honor code casualties, which big, is that's a big win. Big, big, big win. deal. Yeah. A couple, maybe other injuries in practice. We may not see a couple guys on Saturday that we originally had hoped. And if you are in our VIP discord, you would have known these names for a week by now, but what do you think of, aside from BYU sports, what do you think of when you hear the name Bill Plaschke? Uh, well, the first thing that people think of is probably around the horn, right? For um, the ESPN. I don't know if it is. I think it is. Tony Reale is still doing his thing, which, by the way, Tony Reale is a very underrated sports figure in the sports world. That he's dude's hilarious. Host, he's been hosting that show since 2004. He took over for Max Kellerman. The original host of that show is Max Kellerman and barf. Yeah, but he's been, Reale's been, is 43 years old. He's been, like, that's all yeah, he's that's done. Do you remember when he was that guy on oh, PTI? He Good Morning America, too. Yeah, he does a lot of things. Now. He's a funny dude. He's a, he's a real dude. Anyway, to Pil Plaschke, here's what I, I, up until tonight, this is what I thought of when I thought of Bill Plaschke is, is, is around the horn. But as of tonight, I officially think of him lamenting the loss of the Staples Center. No, the Staples Center isn't going anywhere. No, the Lakers aren't moving. No, nothing. Nothing like that is going on. The Staples Center is just changing their name the same way the Delta Center did to the Energy Solutions Arena, to the Vivint Smart Home, whatever the hell. The Staples Center will become the crypto.com center arena. I don't know. But Bill Plaschke, he's upset about it. And there's a whole thread's worth of tweets here that the people could go and look up on Bill Plaschke's account at Bill Plaschke. But here's here's what opened it up. And it kind of, I don't know, it caught my eye. Losing Staples Center hurts. Losing the arena name that is synonymous with Kobe Bryant hurts. Losing the name of the place where I witnessed some of the greatest LA sports moments over the last 20 years hurts. The arena is not going anywhere. Yeah. Like, and when I think of Kobe Bryant, I think of Kobe Bryant. I think of Lakers. I don't think of Staples Center. Maybe I'm, I'm not an LA guy. So maybe I'm the weird one here, but that feels weird to me. And, and before you opine, (laughs) here's the end of his thread with today's disappearance of the Staples center. It didn't vanish. The building is still there. Still there with today's disappearance of the Staples center. I'm feeling a little lost and I know I'm not alone. What, what is this man? Like it's a building and it's still there. The Lakers aren't going anywhere. They're in the same place. Like, did he feel like he died when they left? Like, what did he, what would he have tweeted in the 90s when they moved from the forum? I think yeah. that's where they played before the Staples Center. I, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I don't know, but like, if, if, is, is Bill Plaschke's real name Bill or is it like William? Like, it's, it's probably Billiam. <laughs> Billiam. <laughs> but I'm just like, in my head, like, was he just up in arms and feeling lost when Kobe switched his number from eight to 24? Because that's pretty much the same in terms of impact here. Instead of saying, welcome to the Staples Center, it's going to be welcome to the crypto.com arena. Like, is it a stupid name? Sure. Like, it can be a dumb name, but calling it the crypto is kind of dope. The crypt? Yeah, something like that. Like, there's some things you can do here. I just, I I was a little bit taken aback by the, (laughs) by the, the morning over the name of the place where the Clippers and Lakers play basketball. Yeah, that's, that is ridiculous. That seems ridiculous. Maybe I'm insensitive. I know we have a lot of people from Southern California that listen to the show. If you think we're wrong and the Staples center, it's an office supply chain store folks like Dunder Mifflin, like Dwight worked at Staples. Let's not forget that. Um, are we wrong? Is the Staples Center not the Staples Center, the building, not the events that happen in the Staples Center? Is the name Staples Center like somehow woven into the fabric that is Los Angeles society? Because if it is, boy, am I glad I don't live in California. Yeah, I, 
I mean, everyone knows California is, I mean, it's just lots of feelings there, right? And it, it's, but speaking of transitioning away from there to basketball, um, last night was freaking awesome. I had to, I watched the game following, we were wrapping up an episode of Yellowstone when the game started, started off really hot. So I had to follow along on my phone and I kept watching Yellowstone because I wasn't going to change in the second half, right? Like I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go against what was working and the Cougar Cagers, they can hoop, right? Like Alex, I think last night, I mean, okay. Obviously last year, Alex Marcella was an honorable mention all American. He's been very consistent, but I kind of felt like he was very, con- like he became an honorable mention by way of just being a quietly consistent. Like he never had any like, step on your throat moments of like i am a superstar i am here like i am the best player on this court and you're all beneath me but i kind of felt like he had that moment last night yeah well when you're like nine of eleven yeah i mean that is kind of a breakout moment on a huge stage uh we we kind of take espn for granted these days because byu football is always on espn but this game was on espn like that's a big deal uh you know I don't know what the numbers were. I'm sure we could find them, but that's a big deal. It was a, a late game on a Tuesday night. Like I'm not expecting tens of millions of people to have watched, but it was probably the best sporting event on a Tuesday night in that time slot. So if anybody wanted to look out or look at sports, watch a game, they're probably checking out BYU Oregon and BYU just boat race to the number 12 team in the country. Now I've seen a lot of discussion uh, you know this. Everybody knows this. I'm not the biggest basketball guy in the world. But I've seen discussion of, well, was this result a product of Oregon was overrated or BYU is underrated? And I've seen people trying to walk a line and say, well, it's a little bit of both. Uh, no, folks. BYU was underrated as hell. Oregon is good. And outside of UCLA, those two teams are going to run away with the Pac-12. That That isn't a terrible basketball conference. Oregon is probably going to be a four seed or better in the tournament come March. Oregon's really good. And just because BYU blew them out does not take away the fact that Oregon is loaded and they're going to be a very good team this year. Yeah, BYU's a very good team. Did I have a man crush on Fus Traore? Yeah, like you and everybody else, man. Yeah, I mean, it's I I can't try to decide like who his cut like is he Charles Barkley? Do we have a Chuck on our team? Because I kind of feel like I mean he's big, he's strong, he plays low in the post, even though he's a little bit shorter. I mean, I mean Chuck is still big, right? But he's you know he's not Chuck wasn't seven. He's not a seven footer, but it was really long. Like he's plays really aggressive. Like, I think, I mean, I'm just amazed. I I don't know if he's Chuck because that feels like Chuck is, Chuck is legit, like top 75, whatever player. Yeah. I'm not saying, but let's go Elton Brand. I want to, I want to see as good as Chuck. I'm just talking about about playing style. Like they're both six, six, they both weigh about two fifty. Chuck was really long and got a ton of blocks. Even, you know, he was the size of a, thick small forward but was playing you know way down in the post because he was just strong and and like use his strength to own people yeah i want elton brand i feel better about that comparison okay i'm elton brand that's a name i've not heard, thought of yeah in a very long well and time. i think that's why i feel better about that comparison like it's, chuck now you've related to his golf game more than basketball but elton brand like he's a nobody he, well, i guess he's a general manager but when he was a basketball player, like he was fine. You know, he had his moments. He was really good at college. So Elton Brand, I like that. Or maybe somebody more local, maybe like an Antoine Carr. Could he be the big dog? Like Antoine Carr backed up Malone, right? He was only like 6'5". Like he wasn't a big dude. And if Foose comes out wearing the like Horace Grant, Antoine Carr, like glasses, I think oh, yeah. sometimes he even wore sunglasses. Like, I think they were actually sunglasses, right? Did Foose, he needs to get himself some goggles. Like, we got to get that boy some swag of some kind. Yeah, he he's, I think that's part of what makes him great is like, he just looks like a nice kid, right? You're just like, <laughs> you're just this little baby freshman, but like, you're huge, but you're just like this big old teddy bear of a basketball yeah. player. And it's like, he doesn't look neat, like he's thick, but it's like, he doesn't look mean. He doesn't like 
look like he's, you know, he's not super imposing, right? Right. You know, it's like, it's like, he's not like, he's big, but he's not like jacked, right? Like when you see Gideon George, it's like, Hey, he's got a lot more muscle definition. You're like, Hey, this kid looks like a freak athlete mm-hmm. and he is, but it's like, so you don't like, you don't see that, you know, the same way you would with even with some of the other players, but then it's like, like, he's almost kind of like Al- Barcelo, the bigger, like you look at Alex Barcelo, you're just like, Oh, that's a kid. Like, I mean, they look more athletic than brother Johnson, bless Spencer Johnson's heart. Every preacher in America <laughs> has four kids who look just like Spencer Johnson. Well, I, I saw a meme. Where did I see it? Was it on the discord chat? I don't remember where I saw it, but there was a, a meme of Spencer Johnson coming out of high school and he looks like every other, yeah, like every other priest in the priest quorum, that he's just this skinny little white kid with this goofy smile. And it just says, you just lost to Spencer Johnson. And I loved it. And I wish that I would have saved it so that we could tweet it out after every BYU basketball win, because it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. But the most phenomenal thing, the last thing on this, and I don't know if you, well, last night, the, the post-game reaction of, really the college basketball world was awesome because like what you said about being this on ESPN, there were a ton of people like watching it, like Joel Rothstein was talking about it, like Titus and Tate were talking about it. You, know, you have national writers from across the country talking about how BYU owns the PAC 12. You have Ute fans melting down and be like, Oh, well, BYU has been making fun of the PAC 12 for so much. And now they're trying to flex on the PAC 12. Like, Oh my gosh, you, you guys are so stupid. It's like, Kate, well, one was a joke, right? Like I don't, you use your noggin there. Apparently you went to school. I know the Utah, the university of Utah barely counts as a college, whatever, but use your brain a little bit. Think about this. And, uh, one is a joke and the other is serious. Like it is a big deal to own a power five conference, like, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, and obviously BYU makes fun of it because, you know, we wouldn't be making fun of the PAC 12 if we were in the PAC 12. And also if we were in the PAC 12, we would not defend it. Like it was our firstborn child the way that Utah fans do when Greg Rebell insults the attendance of other schools in your league. And it has nothing to do with you, but that aside, the most amazing thing I saw. um, So a, this is from a national guy. It's just a statistician at ESPN, Jared Burson. He said over Alex Barcelo's last 45 games, he is 90 of 175. So 51.4% on three pointers. No other player with that many attempts is within 5% of him. Like it's, I don't like, it is amazing how insane Alex Porcello is playing, is shooting right now. And it, it like, he's just been so quiet, but it was, I think his last night was that big game. Like I said, where it's like, it is that big game where he just comes out and it's like, oh, okay. Like he's here. You're not going to forget about him. He's mm-hmm. not a dark horse. He kind of snuck into being and. You know, because once you get to those like honorable mention all Americans, it's like, hey, you were you were good and you were consistent, right? But it's, you know, it, it's not it's not the same, right? Like it's Alex Barcelo is like, I'm he's playing like I'm going to be first team consensus all American. Like, you will remember my name is when I leave this court tonight. I, I mean, he's gonna awesome. he's gonna go down as a legend at BYU. Like yeah. he's not Jimmer, but and I think you know recently. Those are the kind of legends that you think of, right? Like nobody is a legend unless they're Jimmer status, but like, I don't know, Tyler Hawes. I, I, I don't think Barcelo's going to, you know, compete for the scoring title in BYU history, but his place in BYU history, especially if he leads this team back to the tournament and makes a little bit of a run. Uh, why wouldn't he be on the same tier as Tyler Hawes? Yeah. Okay. Jared Burson also followed up with this and I didn't see this till just now. Okay, so far this season, Alex Barcelo is third in the country in field goal percentage for players who've taken at least 25 shots. He's shooting 74.1% from the field. Amazing for a guard. Amazing, right? The only players higher, and obviously this is only through three games, are North Carolina's Armando Bacot, or Baco, I don't know how you say his last name, and Purdue's mm-hmm. Zach Eady. Average shot distances, Baco, four feet, Eady, <laughs> three feet, Alex Barcelo, 17 freaking feet. Yeah, that's impressive. He's shooting 74% from the field and his average shot is a 17 footer. Uh, I want to know. Like, like if he where, keeps that up, you're saying, Oh no, like Jimmer, like that's Jimmer. Like that is Jimmer mania. If Alex yeah, Barcelo is freaking, if he's 
hitting 17 footers at a 50% clip, like nonstop, if he's in shooting 50% from three, that's Jimmer. Uh, I love Barcelo. I do. Uh, he just signed an NIL deal with Mountain America Credit Union. Good for him. He also signed that deal at the same time as Shaley Gonzalez. And my Shaley Gonzalez swag is in the mail. I'm pretty pumped about it. If you haven't seen Shaley Gonzalez play, you need to because she plays basketball like a guy. And I know that that's maybe sexist or whatever, but she plays with quickness. She plays with physicality. She gets into the, like she can absorb contact and still make a layup. And I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but in the women's game, which I really enjoy watching because it's way more, I don't know. It's like way more free flowing. You're such a boomer. It's like, no, I'm serious. Like it's slow, right? Like it's slower and there's like set plays and stuff, but it's not that it's the, it feels like there's more like the refs because they're not as big. They're not as physical. There's way fewer fouls that are called. It's four quarters. So you don't like get to 10 fouls really quick because of some crazy thing. And then you have 18 minutes of free throws. Like there's, there's differences. And so the game itself is just better. It has nothing to do with like the, Oh, I like half court basketball. That's not it. It just feels like it's an easier watch to me. There's like, there's actually a game flow where the men's game sub games flow great. And it's spectacular. Like last night against Oregon, but then other games, it's like, there, there is no flow. The refs have taken control. You kind of avoid that in the women's game. Uh, but Shayla Gonzalez is, she is every bit as good as, as Alex Barcelo, just on the other side of the fence. Right. So they also had a big win today. Uh, earlier this morning over Arizona state and continuing the theme of the year of BYU is the absolute kryptonite for the PAC 12 conference. Obviously we, we know about BYU's football dominance. Uh, One of the best basketball teams in the conference just got smoked by the men. Uh, Arizona state is supposed to be a pretty solid women's team this year. And, and they lost by, I think it was 11 to BYU, to the Lady Cougs this morning. Like, it wasn't a close game. The Pac-12, man, I, <laughs> they, they just don't have it. BYU is their kryptonite. And I hope it stays that way forever and ever until the end of time. Yeah. Um, and so that is a good wrap of basketball. And speaking of, in, it is a, it's not a good wrap. This is a horrible transition. I just put my, I had something in my mind and then I lost my complete. Yeah, we might as well just announce everybody. We are changing the subject. now. We are moving to football. <laughs> we are playing Georgia Southern on Saturday. Georgia uh, Southern, not state, not Georgia state. Georgia state is in the Georgia state is in Atlanta. They play at the Braves old stadium. Which uh, yeah. Weird. Converted. And they which are, which was new- the former, home of the uh olympic opening ceremonies that's why it was created in 1996 and it was always kind of a funny baseball stadium yeah the olympics and baseball stadiums don't really mix well um so they the georgia state panthers are in the wait sorry hold on did you know the braves won the world series did you hear that i I didn't know that yeah they won i was just making sure that you knew that and everybody else did yeah um so they I I'm aware of that. You have made sure everybody knows and you're reminded of that constantly. Just making Um, sure. So the, they are not Georgia state Panthers. Georgia state is a startup program. I think their first season ever was in like 2012 or something like that. Georgia Southern is in Statesboro, Georgia. It's like an hour outside of Savannah. Great part of the country. Jealous of all of our fans are making that trip. Georgia state, like people think of like app state coming up and like, Oh, doing well. That's kind of what Georgia Southern expected to do, right? So Georgia Southern was App State before App State was App State. Uh, you know, they Georgia Southern won has won six FCS titles um, in the '80s and '90s. They their kind of thing that they have all across campus is GATA, it's GATA, and it comes from the guy that was the football coach for the long time in the '80s. And the motto of what he told his players was to get after their asses, and they, which is beautiful. And they use it all over campus now. 
even stuff like like something like their counseling center advisement center it's like something advising it's like something advisement advising their academics or you know it's like they use gata as random acronyms all over campus because like that is their <laughs> thing and i think that's awesome um and so they came up they were in the socon with app state that is like their arch rival they you know played together for a long time and you know, they moved up to the Sun Belt together. It hasn't gone the way that they like to. Obviously, they just, they've traditionally been a triple option school. They are finally coming to terms with the fact that that is no longer feasible in 2021. And they hired Clay Hilton, which is kind of weird, but I think it will actually be a very good hire for them. Um, I mean, they, they need some organization stability, right? Like, you know, I, yeah. And, and Clay Hilton, like, don't let the disaster that was USC over the last few years distract you from the fact that Clay Hilton's a good coach. USC has a little bit of Texas in it right now. That good coaches go there, and there are factors outside of coaching that play a role in the, the on-field success. And Clay Hilton getting into a place where the expectations, the, the, you know, the surroundings, the boosters, the, the everything is going to be drastically different. I think you see Clay Helton back at the P5 ranks and it starts because of what he does at Georgia Southern. Um, speaking of this, this is a, yes, it, uh, off of Georgia Southern, it's, I think a lot of people just coaching in general. And obviously this is, you know, Kalani has come up. So really with Georgia Southern, they are not good this year. They obviously their coach is bad. They fired their coach. They had to suspend a player because on their bus ride to the stadium, he climbed on top of the bus and was like shotgunning a beer while standing on top of a bus as he was driving to play in a game. Very lots I mean, of wild seems, things going down. And seems things, unfair. Though. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> I mean, like he who has not chugged a beer on top of a moving vehicle. Glass houses, stuff. Georgia Southern. <laughs> but the, uh, so there, when we talk about coaching, right? Like obviously Kalani has been in the news this week. He's been mentioned. He was mentioned for the USC job a couple of weeks ago. He's been mentioned and tied to the Washington job this week. And we've been pushing to say, you know, pay Kalani, pay Kalani. We need to keep him here. We're going to get into that. So, but what you brought up was really interesting when you say about like Clay Hilton, kind of, he walked in and the USC job is probably the most overrated job in the country right now because everyone thinks it's pretty turnkey because it's USC, but there's a lot more crap there to deal with than anyone really wants to admit. And so I went back through and I looked and shout out to Joe Brobeck because he, he, he posted something about this. And then I went, he inspired me about the former Amer coaches from the American who went on to P5 jobs. So we have Scott Frost went from Central Florida, UCF to Nebraska. Tom Herman went from Houston to Texas. Josh Heupel is in year one at Tennessee. Justin Fuente went to uh, Memphis to Virginia Tech. He is now fired. Mike Norvell went to Memphis, is now at Florida State. Willie Taggart, he did go to USF. It was not his first head coaching job. He went to USF from Western Kentucky, but then he went to Oregon, was there for one year, then went to Florida State, got fired, and is now at Florida Atlantic. Matt Rule went to from Temple to Baylor. Jeff Collins, Temple to Georgia Tech. Chad Morris to SMU. Every single one of those coaches, nine, every single coach who did very well, except for the Chad Morris thing, uh, every single one of those nine coaches who all did very well in their conferences at, you know, in the American and had very, very good G5 programs were making very good money, has losing records as P5 head coaches after they left their program. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Over nine, and Rule did have the one season with Baylor, but since any, I think Rule probably had he stayed at Baylor, he would have kept it going probably, but he finished nineteen and twenty at Baylor, at Baylor. So he was close to five hundred. But even then, it's not like he was a slam dunk, right? He had one good year, capitalized it, and went to the NFL. Um, so it's you th see that, and it's like there is so much more to coaching than just being a head coach. Like, and if you look at yeah. somebody to ask me, like someone was like, oh, like the BYU job being in the, like the big 12, like yeah, obviously BYU fans are very biased, myself included. We've talked about this on the show. We think 10 years from now, the big 12 is going to pass up the PAC 12 and it's not going to be close. That's our prediction. It could blow up in our face, could be totally wrong, but just as we see it today. And obviously we're influenced in that because that's what we want to happen because Utah sucks and we don't. And <laughs> we, <laughs> so it's like, you compare like, oh, Washington and BYU. You could say like, oh, well, Washington, politics are involved with the school. Like 
you know, obviously there's politics in Provo, but it's like, oh, it's like, would you rather be in the Big 12 or would you rather have to be in the Pac-12, which conference would coach want to be in, which league has more fan support, like Pac-12 stadiums are empty, that sucks and it's hard to recruit there, whatever. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, if you're Kalani Satake, BYU is the perfect job for you because you are a member of the church. You understand things. You understand where it's working at. He's the perfect guy for the BYU job. Like there's a lot of, it is a huge matter of institutional fit and institutional support around you. He goes to Washington. There's a new learning curve. Like it may not fit, right? Like it's, and I think all of these coaches like Scott Frost, well, maybe, I mean, Scott Frost did only have one. He has had one winning season and he is at currently at 500. And he's like, his career winning percentage is like 35%. If you take out the, 2017 UCF season, but like Tom Herman was good at Houston for multiple years. Hypo was good for multiple years at UCF Fuente and Norvell, both great multiple years at Memphis, Jeff Collins followed up. Matt rule had back-to-back winning, like good winning seasons at temple, which is a historically a very hard place to win. He's really struggled at Georgia tech. So it's like all of these things. It's like, it's not just a coach like, Oh yes. Clay Hilton's a good coach. You know, it's like, unless you are Saban or urban, Right. There are very few coaches that can go into any job and make it a power. Right. And it, it is so much of it is, you know, who are the assistants that are available with the budget that you have? Who are the assistants that you have happened to work with in the past that would even want to come work with you? Where's the location of your school? What kind of booster support do you have? If you go in and have a list of things that you need, are you going to get pushback or is the school going to say, okay, yes, we'll give it to you? What kind of, do those boosters after they cut you the check, do they want to show up and tell you how to run practice or do they put pressure? Like, you know, do boosters, you know, are boosters in your staff's ear, like bugging them about stuff and staff, your staff is uneasy about and don't feel confident in how they play the game because boosters are, they know that boosters are turning around and talking crap on them. Like how do your fans feel that? Like there are so many variables that to be successful as a college coach, unless you are like one of those three or four elite, elite coaches, like you need a perfect storm of things in place around you. And so, it is not just a single coach and not all jobs are equal because it's like, right. It's, it's a lot of it is fit. Like it, right. You could be a great coach at one school and suck at another one because it's different. Like Justin Fuente never made sense. He's always been a Texas guy. He was the Offensive coordinator at TCU when they went to the Rose Bowl, Justin Fuente at Memphis made a lot of sense because that's still very Texasy. Going and being in the AAC when or in the ACC in Blacksburg, Virginia, when you are a Southwestern dude, like that has never been a good fit. And that's why I, they've struggled because they haven't recruited Virginia well. And Bronco has the same thing has happened there, right? Like it's they don't yeah. recruit their own state as well because their connections aren't to their state. Like Virginia Tech has a bunch of dudes from Arkansas and Tennessee and Texas on the roster. And Virginia is getting, has guys from like the South, like they got from everywhere, but the DC area, which has a lot of Mm -hmm. talent. Like it's, they haven't, you know, and so it is a lot of just like, you need the perfect storm for sustained success. I agree. And I'm going to take a different angle to make the exact same point you just ended up making. Uh, USC is 100% 100% without a doubt, the most overrated job in college football. I want to quit quizzing you, Garrett. Here's a quiz. You ready? Yes. Take out the Pete Carroll years, which were obviously exceptional. And I think people have a tendency to say, well, it was because USC was exceptional. No, Pete Carroll is exceptional. And that was why Pete Carroll ended up turning around a crappy Seahawks franchise and, and going to Super Bowls, winning a Super Bowl, right? Because Pete Carroll figured out how to coach. So take away the Pete Carroll era and go all the way back to BYU's national championship. Let's live in the past. Let's go back to the 1984 season. How many, well, and maybe before I ask, a good season, if, you're a, uh, if you have the reputation and prestige of a school like USC or Alabama, or Ohio State, anything more than than two losses is a failure of a season, right? I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah. So here's my question for you. Remove Pete Carroll. How many seasons have there been since 1984 that USC has had two or less losses? 
We're talking nearly 40 years of college football, minus the eight that Carroll was there. 30 years. Uh, three? Four. There have been four. And let's see. One of them was Lane Kiffin. And then before that, you got to go all the way back to 95 with John Robinson. And before that, you got to go all the way back to 89 with Larry Smith and 88 with Larry Smith. That's it. Those are the four times. Well, actually, I lied. There was a fifth, and it's the only other one loss season, and it was 2020 when they went five and one. Okay, that doesn't count. Right, I, I didn't mean, count it. They, they, had they played a full season, they probably would have dropped another one. Correct. Yep. I don't because so, I don't think they played Oregon, and they would have lost to Oregon last year. Right. Yep. So USC, this job that has all this cachet, and USC is the greatest program in the West. USC has had outside of one spectacular Hall of Fame coach run that lasted. Uh, what did it last? It it lasted eight years with it Pete Carroll, two thousand one to two thousand nine. I mean, yeah. When you realize his well after his first year, so two thousand two, Orange Bowl, three Rose Bowl, four Orange Bowl, Rose, 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 and then they were nine and four in two thousand one, two thousand nine, and then he left. Under yep suspicious circumstances well then that's that's kind of my next point was that uh yeah usc had that great run that's the only really great run that they've had since the 70s when they were consistently going into rose bowls throughout the 70s and, and the 80s they went to a few rose rose bowls but it wasn't with the same kind of dominance that you would expect i mean they went to the rose bowl in 87 with an eight and four record right uh, they, they weren't this dominant team. They were just the best of the Pac-12. Yeah. Outside of Pete Carroll, USC is pretty ho-hum. Like, they're a solid program, but they're pretty ho-hum. But they have this reputation that USC is, is absolutely phenomenal. And so many coaches, and I think you're starting to see that trend break, but so many coaches get sucked up in that. That, oh, I'm the head coach of USC. And maybe it's because they produce a lot of NFL talent. I don't know why they had a lot of Heisman winners. But they have this notion that that's the pinnacle of my profession. But the, the difference is that, like Nick Saban, he knows that he is the pinnacle of his profession. Nick Saban could go to any school in the country that has a reasonable amount of resources and figure it out. Right, he doesn't have to go to USC to win. Like Alabama was a is a blue blood program, right? But they were pretty crappy when he walked in. And outside of the Bear Bryant era, Alabama's a lot like USC. And Alabama or Nick Saban did the same thing at LSU. Like they weren't this national powerhouse; they were very very good program. But he took them to a completely different level. I think Nick Saban fully understands that he is the pinnacle of college football. Meanwhile, you have guys like Sark who walk into a job like Texas and people at Texas think, well, we're Texas. We just got to get the right coach to fit the Texas program. That isn't it. That is not it. You have to find the right program that fits the perfect coach. Yep. Lavelle might not have been that good outside of BYU. Maybe he would have been. I mean, that's almost blasphemous to say on a podcast like this. Maybe he would have been phenomenal. I don't know. But there is a better than probably 50% chance that he would have walked into a different school and had a completely different experience. Joe Paterno was great, right, at Penn State. Did phenomenal things. Joe Paterno and Arizona State, I don't think it works. No. I, I just don't. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer did great things at Florida. He, he was great everywhere he went. He kind of understood that too, that no matter where he goes, he's going to win. He is the pinnacle of his profession. And that's the difference. And I think that's, I, I think we're starting to see that break, right? Guys like Whittingham, they know that whether he's, I don't think he thinks he's the pinnacle of his profession, but he knows that his shtick of being the hard ass is probably not going to work with the with the, the lights and glam of, of Hollywood. Like he would probably fail at USC, not because he's not a good coach, 
but because that program that he runs of you're an underdog, you're overlooked and you are going to just play tough football and kick everybody's ass probably doesn't work at USC when you've got all the five stars in the world. I guess it just doesn't Gary Patterson. Do you really think that Gary Patterson could walk into a program like Ohio state and be successful? I don't think so. Right. Like I don't think his shtick is going to work there. He's too big of a dick. Well, and it's like, that's why Mike Leach was great at Texas tech because nobody pays attention to what happens in Lubbock. Like Lubbock is a weird place. So you got a weird guy and it was just like, okay, Hey, yeah. Texas tech. They're a thing now. Uh, (laughs) So I, I don't, you went to 84, um, but I went back to night. So from 1979 onwards, um, they, so that is obviously that is so 1978, I guess it should be a 78 onwards. So 78 is when happened between FCS and FBS. Yep. Uh, that's where the PAC 10 was officially the PAC 10. Not yes. Pack eight. Yep. 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 So when they made since so in the PAC 10 era, uh, USC non Pete Carroll years has averaged only 7.8 wins a season. And in that time, they have won double digit games one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in 33 years. Or, no, sorry. Yeah. In 33 non Pete Carroll seasons, they've had right. seven double digit win seasons. Some of those are kind of weird, like in 2013. They played 14 games because they played at, I think they played at Hawaii. So they got an extra game and then they played in the conference championship game and then they had their bowl game. Right. So it took them 14 games to get to 10 wins, but, but they got there. Right. So but that's, I mean, that it, it goes back to, I think what you said a little bit last week, power. I don't know. We've always looked at TV markets, looked at like endowment size. You've looked at, uh, you know, TV ratings, you know, all these, these different factors to determine who, who is the who's who of college football. It's fans. Fans is the only metric that matters. I, I, I really believe that that's the case. Fans is what makes a program. If you don't have elite level fan support, you might have a blip on the radar where you get an elite coach. If you have a, a great run, but if you don't have consistent elite fan support, your program is going to be underwhelming. Yep. And, and USC isn't that, you know, like they have a lot of fans. They can fill up the Coliseum when they're good, but when they're not, the place is barren. There's nobody there. There's there going to be probably... more BYU fans on Thanksgiving weekend than there will be USC fans. Yeah. And, and that's not elite fan support. And therefore their program kind of goes up and down, but like Utah, Maybe Utah goes back to bad, but since Utah, uh, since that Fiesta Bowl in 04, and and so really you can make an argument that Urban got them there and Witt sustained it, and we don't know what it will look like post-Witt. But, like, the fan support started to come back with McBride, and and they do a really great job. Like, if you've never been to a game at RES as not a BYU fan, just go. Wear a black shirt. Go watch Utah take on Washington State one year, and I promise you if you're able to take off your Utah blinders, you're going to have a good time. And you're going to see that that's a pretty awesome place to to watch a college football game. And, I mean, they have great fan support, and and look, Utah has kind of risen to be the best program in the Pac-12 South. The, the, The programs that have good fan support and consistent fan support, they're the programs who last. Oregon, that a game at Autzen is is unbelievable. That is an incredible environment, and they're consistently good. Some years they're great, some years they're less than great, but they are a consistently really good program. And, and that's why we're saying that you know ultimately we think that going forward, the Big Twelve is going to separate because the Big Twelve programs have that fan support, right? And it's where. It is through thick and thin other than Kansas, right? Like people are there, you know, it's obviously it will, you know, and when you're down team, there's going to be fair weather fans at every program, you know, that don't roll around when, you know, that don't come through when times are tough, but they still have a much larger, like bedrock, you know, foundation of fans that are showing up no matter what, 
and are traveling to away games and, you know, seeing their things. And, and really Utah does have the best fan base in the PAC 12 and yeah. it shows on the field as a result. Mm-hmm. And, but going into the big 12, that's kind of like, that's kind of the expectation, right? Like there's very few empty stadiums in big 12 country. And that is why I think it's, you know, ultimately is going to make the difference. And we talked about it too last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was comparing to the Sun Belt versus Conference USA, same thing, right? Me- bigger metro areas with empty stadiums or smaller random towns with diehard fans. Who are you going to bet on in the future? Um, and so we speak in those fans, they give money to the school so the school can pay their coaches and Kalani and Mark Pope need to get paid. We understand that Kalani just got an extension in August. Don't tell us that they ha- we already paid them. We know. And it's the stupidest then, argument. Since we've paid both of them, uh, we've gotten a Big 12 invite. So we're going to be in the best basketball conference in the country. And we are going to be in a power football conference where coaches are making a hell of a lot more money than our coaches are making. And their staffs are a hell of a lot bigger. It's not, it's for Kalani. When we say pay Kalani, it's not even about his salary, his salary. He doesn't care about his salary. He know, he's got money. He's fine. He doesn't care. It's he wants the tools to be able to compete with his peers. And I think push come to shove BYU in what we've heard, right? It's, you know, it's like BYU is going to pay them. It's they're not going to be, it's not going to be the highest paid coach in the conference. It's not going to be the biggest staff in the conference. You know, we will always be frugal and we're not going to be freaking out here. Give Mel Tucker getting $95 million guaranteed because he had one winning season in his career. Uh, but it's, you know, right now his salary would be the lowest in the big 12 by a long shot. And our staff, like most people don't realize our recruiting staff is smaller than Utah state's. And that is what is unacceptable. And that is where we have to put the pressure on to make that move and make sure that those happen and take care of our coaches. We're not saying put the pressure on, like we're demanding things. It's we're saying like, Hey, like fans clamor for it. Like say, give them money. It's like, we're not, we're not banging down Tom's door and don't tell us like, Oh, Tom has us taken care of. We know he does. Right. But it's a matter of, you know, it's image, right. It's, it's a matter of the narrative, like, yes, we're okay with it. We want it. You want more money. We put our money where our th- mouth is. We donated a thousand dollars to the coaches circle from our podcast right account of people from our subscribers like we're putting money our extra root beer money that we have coming from this we're dumping it all into the program because we want to see it happen we're not just saying pay pay Kalani and then not actually paying ourselves we've upped our donations and we're saying that we want them to be at least middle we should be in the middle of the big 12 for salaries and staff size across the board and i don't think that's unreasonable to say okay if we're going to, these are going to be our peers. We need to spend like our peers and compete the same way our peers compete and not say, okay. And, and really it comes down to our fans, right? Like you can't, our fan expectations are too high and we cannot compete sustainably on a shoestring budget. It will not work when you're talking about like, Oh, a job that is a good job, right? You know, it's like, this is not a BYU is not a good job. It is a very good job. If the fan support that is there, is adequately funded and the coaches are when they say they need something they get it okay that is there and but if you make them say oh well we this is basically a calling you should be grateful that you get to coach at BYU then it becomes a real shitty job real fast if you're trying to go compete in the big 12 with you know you have one analyst for your entire staff when every other school ha- each position coach has their own personal analyst to watch, spend 45, 80 hours a week watching film the week before and hand them a full report. And we have one guy doing it for everybody. One of the best stories that I've ever heard, and I, it might be folklore, uh, but I, I believe it. I think it's true. The people who told me this story think it's true. Um, at Navy, Navy had, I don't know if they had like a practice was several years ago. So I don't know if they just had a practice field or if they had some, you know, indoor practice facility or something like that, but they, they had where they practice. So we'll just call it the practice field. And there was some intramural football of some sort that was taking place on, on that field. And coach Neil Matalolo said, Hey, I, I need the field. My guys have got to practice. And the administration or whoever it was, whatever, you know, 
department head was over reservations of this particular field said, well, hey, these guys have it reserved. You're going to have to wait. And Coach Neil Matalolo said, I think that's awesome that they want to use this field. Um, but we're not going to wait until they're expected to beat Notre Dame. Like I'm expected to beat Notre Dame. And that was all that it took for that administrator or that department head, whatever it was, whoever it was to kick those people off the field, thus making the field available for coach Niamatololo and his football team. That's the kind of attitude that isn't there. Look, Football is king. That's it. And I get it. It's not equitable, right? I get it that the IPF and Provo, it would really be awesome if the, the golf team could use it or if the women's soccer team could use it. I, I get it. But that's not how the rest of the Big 12 is going to operate. Baylor's not sharing their practice field. Football gets whatever football wants. Oklahoma State isn't sharing the indoor practice facility with the women's golf team. They're not. They're just not. There's no intramurals that is ever going to kick a TCU football program off the field. So it's not that it's like, oh, my gosh, elitist BYU football wants all of these things all the time. It's that the people that BYU is expected to beat get whatever they want whenever they want it. And if you don't do that, then you are asking BYU to go and win on the field, knowing that your group is going to be handcuffed, right? They're going to have less than the opponent that you expect them to beat. And fans, fans are the thermostat for the program. I've said this a few times in in newsletters over the last couple of weeks. Fans, we have no impact. On, on wins or losses, right? Like, okay, I guess crowd noise or whatever. But we have no, we don't get to make the plays. We don't call the plays. We're not the ones pulling down an interception. We make zero impact on what actually takes place. But fans set that tone. They set that, that expectation and that temperature. Now, fans can be unrealistic, and that makes it really hard. And if you listen to some people, that's why Bronco left. Because the fan expectation, the thermostat was set too hot and and BYU wasn't willing to pay the heat bill on the other end. And so he didn't have the resources or the ability to meet fan expectations. So he left. But fans set those expectations. And when we say pay Kalani, we're not just out there advocating that Kalani becomes some bajillionaire. Like if you don't know how college football head coach contracts work, the assistant Coaches pay is, is specified in that head coach's contract. They get a pool of money that they're allowed to use and allocate as they see fit to fill out the position coaches uh, contract, individual contracts and needs, right? It's not like Aaron Roderick can just like negotiate directly with Tom Homo. That's not how it works. So the only way that you increase that assistance pool is by restructuring Kalani Sataki's contract. So I don't give two shits if he was just extended 30 days ago, 90 days ago, whatever it was, doesn't matter. Because if you want to pay the assistance, which is really where the issue is, right? It's support staff and assistance. Kalani, double his salary, keep it where it is. I think he's going to be content so long as his assistants are taken care of. You cannot just, that, that's not how it's structured. You cannot just go out and pay uh, Coach Funk more money. It's all specified within Kalani's contract. Every college football program in the country, so unless BYU does something really weird, every college football program in the country gives the head coach an assistance pool and they determine who gets paid what. Yeah, and with that too, if you also, the big deal is with a buyout. Right. Like it's if Kalani needs to get paid to increase his buyout, because if Washington, you know, the job that he's being linked to or USC come along and say, hey, we want to hire Kalani. uh, It's a lot better if he's got a seven, eight million dollar buyout that they have to cut a check to BYU to hire him away. You know, and that's, you know, that he has to pay money to leave 
and his new school would pay the money to BYU you in his behalf. And so, right. And that's why, you know, it's a big deal that UTSA, that's why UTSA gave like a 10 year contract in a fat raise to Jeff trailer because his name started popping up. And as soon as his name starts popping up as for coaching things, you get a raise so you can up the buyout. It's all about the buyout because you assume your coach is going to be good and continue to be good. And if they leave, you want to get paid. And that also is why Kalani needs to get paid right now because his name is going around in pretty much every, every major job in the West. And honestly, like there could be nine, maybe Pac-12 jobs open this year. We've <laughs> already got, like we've already got USC, decent chance for UCLA. I don't, I think it's a non, I don't think it's likely, but there's a non-zero chance that Whittingham retires. I think if Utah goes to the Rose Bowl, there's a pretty good chance that Witt just, you know, hangs it up and calls it good. Uh, Washington State, Washington, you then could have other attrition of what if Washington hires Oregon State's coach to come back or Cal's coach. One of those could open up. Uh, who knows? Arizona's who knows what's going on there in Tucson. You got I read I read today that uh, the headline was Colorado fans are tired of Carl Durrell or whatever his name is. Soccer. Okay. And so right now there's Colorado. So it's there's probably there could be like seven names. and David Shaw. Like it's not like Stanford is running great, right? Like David Shaw could just walk away. In every single one of those jobs, Kalani's name will be linked to. Everyone. And if they're all knocking down the door. That means he is worth more now than when we gave him that contract in August. And, and, and you're so worth what people to... will pay, right? Like right. let's pretend. Let's just pretend. It's it's not realistic, but let's pretend. Uh, Mel Tucker, like he was linked to the LSU job and then a big boat, a big boner. Whoa. A big donor, Matt. I think his name is Ishba Ishbia. Like the, the Michigan state has two billionaire, their brothers, they're billionaires. One of them played basketball like in the seventies and they're both on the Forbes list. Like they're, they're richer. They make the one makes Ryan Smith look like he's kind of living in poverty and they single-handedly supposedly covered the $95 million that is going to be needed for Mel Tucker's contract. Okay. So LSU, maybe they think they're getting Mel Tucker. And all of a sudden in a matter of hours, the ante to get Mel Tucker, you know, maybe it was 6 million bucks would have been enough to lure him to LSU. Well, all of a sudden in a matter of seconds, in order to get him to LSU, it's, it's 10 million a year. Like that's how quickly things can change and you're worth what you, what somebody's willing to pay you. So let's just pretend Washington tired of Jimmy Lake. They, they recognize that outside of Chris Peterson, they have hired uh, Sark and, and Willingham and they haven't been very great, right? They want to get somebody who will run a clean program as quick as they can. And they love Sataki. Maybe they fall in love with Sataki. Well, when they wanted to go get Chris Peterson, who admittedly, you know, he, he took Boise State to a New Year's Six game, I guess a BCS game at the time. And so maybe they think... Yeah, they went to they, like three of them. Well, yeah, they went to a few of them. And so maybe they think more highly of Chris Peterson than they do Kalani Satake. But, but what was it, four or five years ago, six years ago now? No, even longer than that, eight years ago? Uh, Pete got $5.5 million to leave Boise State to go to Seattle. That was a ton of money. Now... Factor in the eight years of college football inflation, you're talking, you know, six and a half million dollars. If if Washington were to go to Kalani and say, hey, we'll pay you five, six million bucks, that ups the ante, right? Like it doesn't matter that you just extended him 90 days ago. It doesn't matter that you're paying him more money than you've ever paid a head football coach. If you want to keep him, the ante is it, it changed. You now got to compete with a five million dollar salary because somebody's willing to pay him that. I, I don't know where this idea, and maybe, I don't know, because it's not like this for most employers either, but this idea that this contract somehow actually binds somebody to something is, is just not factual. Like, they're not players, right? Like, their contracts doesn't mean that you have to wait until free agency to leave. That's not how it works. There are buyout clauses in every head coach's contract. And so any idea that, somehow Kalani has to stay because he was just, ex just extended is preposterous. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it either. And I think a lot of it is just 
it's this weird I, I I don't know. I just don't get it. I think a lot of people, it's just, they don't understand it. And it, you know, really that it's the matter of like, oh, what are, you know, what are they willing to pay? Or people will say like, oh, well, they won't pay that much because they just have to afford a buyout. And it's like, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's, if boosters want it, they want it. And that's it, right? Like it's it, your athletic department budget has nothing to do with coaching salaries or coaching changes because what all the boosters are pissed and say, hey, we want to, you know, we, we want, Kalani Satake. And then you turn around and say, okay, well, his agent's saying it's going to cost $5 million. Do you want Kalani that much? And they say, yep, called a few of our buddies. Here's $20 million. We funded a four-year contract. Or the flip side, oh, hey, we're in Tucson and we want to get rid of Kevin Sumlin. And they're like, well, it's like a $20 million buyout. Or Gus Malzahn, it's a $20 million buyout to fire Tom Herman, right? Tom I mean, Herman. It's like, okay, well, let's call him up. It's not like the school is not paying that. It's rich mm-hmm. boosters who want to insert themselves and have, get you know get off on the power trip of saying they fund the program. And they're saying, they're hey, the Buddy Garrity of the college football yes, ranks. Yes, and it's the Buddy Garrity of the college football ranks, and that is, um, you know, and that is like they – that is exciting for them and they feel like they're making a difference and that is new money that would have otherwise not been there. Like it's not, it's not like it's a fungible thing of like, Oh, we moved it around and this, whatever. It's just like, they said, Hey, we want to fire him. How much is his buyout? His buyouts this much. Okay. I'm going to start making calls. We're going to get it together. Okay. We have the, we, the money is in the bank. We can fire him now. That's how it works. It's money. It's don- donations that would have otherwise not happened because people want to buy their way into doing it. And it is what it is. Um, so we do have some other player news and not just coaches moving. Um, cornerback Jock Wilson, he announced his intent to transfer from the program today. Um, he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. Uh, you know, he's gotten a little bit of run on special teams, but it's it, it's always a bummer, right? When you it's always a bummer when someone who is, you know, an African-American player who's not a member of the church, like you hope that it was just a playing time issue and he's not, you know, didn't have bad. I hope he had a good experience in Provo because I understand what it's like to feel out of place and feel like you don't fit in. And I hope that's not why he was transferring. Uh, but he, I think it's just a matter of he was buried on the depth chart and he was fighting for playing time and you have a limited clock. So if you want to go, he probably wants to go somewhere where you can play. And so best of luck to him. Um, and he, and he is in the portal as a graduate transfer, you know, so indicating he, that he either has, or will soon have his degree. Yep. And, and so, so that, you know, good for him. He, so he can go to a mountain West school. You could go to any, you know, G five school. He doesn't have to drop down to the FCS. And then the other player in his day is um, Braxton Feely has decommitted. Um, he's a three-star prospect out of Tim view. looks like he picked up an offer from Boise. Most likely that's where he's going to land. Uh, this is kind of a weird scenario, right? Because it's, and this is where it gets really hard following recruiting with BYU and why I understand why a lot of BYU fans don't want to follow recruiting because um, he, right? Like you look at some of the other maybe questionable offers uh, in this class or maybe that are a little bit head scratching and you wonder like, well, why did we push Feely, but keep them? And it's like, well, the other guys are mission guys. You can punt on them. And, but Feely was wanting to play right away. So then we, you urge him to gray shirt or say, Hey, we need to move things around. You got to wait a semester, whatever that is. He doesn't want to do that, which is understandable, right? Like if you want to get on the field and play and they're telling you, you have to wait, like, you know, things get really tricky. And so it's, is it a bummer? Yes. Is it the end of the recruiting world? No. Does it have any impact on the other guys that people, you know, are saying that they would have preferred to have Feely over? No, because they're going to show up in different years. So it's like it is having like at any given time, BYU has multiple recruiting classes going on at the same time because of missions. And so what one player does because of a mission in a starting time point has no impact necessarily on another one because you're talking about stuff three years apart. Yeah. And, and so for 2022, I mean, that's the immediate impact. That's the other thing, right? Like if it's a guy like Ice, Ice Moa who you're – hoping is going to play next year. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big hit. 
but I don't think they were counting on Braxton Feely to be playing right away. They wanted him on the program right away, or he wanted to be in the program right away. But BYU was not expecting him to be a contributor right away. Therefore, that gives them time to react and to replace him with, with somebody else, whether it be a transfer in this class or somebody in the 2023 class. Uh, but for 2022, like on my, based on my initial look at best, he was like DT nine, maybe DT eight. And that's assuming he gains the requisite weight. He weighs like two sixty right now. He needs to bulk up. He's got to bulk up. He's got to. I think he has elite potential. I think he's going to be very, very good. Watching him off the line of scrimmage is fun. He's explosive, but it's different at the college level. And he's only two sixty. He's got to. He's got to grow. And so, yeah. I mean, I think DT nine. Looking at, at next year, next year the projected defensive tackle slash nose tackle room is Lorenzo Fawatea, Gabe Summers, Brooks Miley. Uh, will be joining the program. Isaiah Moa, John Nelson, Bruce Mitchell, who's an offer that I hated for a long time, but I have heard raving feedback about him that he is off his mission and looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, people who are skeptical about offers that go out and certain player evaluations have told me that Bruce Mitchell looks like an absolute star. So color me shocked. Right. But he, apparently there's some expectations for Bruce coming into the season. Uh, Earl Mariner, Josh Larson is big enough that he's going to move inside. Nisa Mahe, Caden Haas, Jacob Palu, Josh Singh, Vic Vaca. And then I guess like Hunter Greer is probably, probably there as well. He's seen some time. Blake Mangelson has seen some time. So, Feely, realistically, uh, he's probably competing with Josh Larson, right? I mean, is he maybe better than them? Yes. Maybe. Maybe after, is he going to be better next year when they've had another year, a couple years ahead of him in the program? I mean, not. Is he going to be Kairos Tonga level good as a freshman? to where you are immediately going to regret not having him from day one? No, 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 I don't think so. And that's the thing with recruiting. Like I, I it's, it's antithetical to everything that we do in college football, but recruiting is not a zero sum game, right? Braxton Feely can go to Boise state or wherever he's going to be. And he can have a lights out career. Maybe he goes to the NFL. He could be absolutely phenomenal. But if BYU fills in with another guy who's really good, then everybody kind of wins, right? Two months ago, the loss of Feely really would have stung a lot. But two months ago, nobody thought Isaiah Moa was going to flip from Utah and, and ultimately sign with BYU. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, it wasn't very long ago, Garrett, that we were on this show trying to talk everybody away from the ledge because Joe Brown had committed to Virginia. Well, here we are two months later, three months later, that scholarship that might've gone to Joe Brown is now going to Kingsley Suamatea. I, I think everybody can be happy. Yeah, well, Virginia happy got for their that. win. We've got Kingsley, right? So recruiting doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. And while there were issues on the recruiting trail about who recruited, like was the communication between uh, BYU coaches and Feely where it should be? I don't think so. I mean, I think there are certainly things that needed to be better, but the end result of asking him to gray shirt, which is what happened, may not be the end of the world. So everybody just kind of, my wife always tells me to calm my tits. Everybody just calm your tits. It's usually good advice for most things. So yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things that's like, if you don't follow recruiting off and you, th- you see a decommit, you know, go away. And this isn't a case of where BYU just dumped him, right? And it wasn't the school. Like it, it's totally understandable where both sides are coming from. And it really is a no harm, no foul situation. And so it's not, it's not the end of the world. Just take a deep breath and just keep on keeping on. And, you know, it's, you got to just dance with who brung you. And it's, you, it's about getting the guys you get. Um, Jeff, it's been a good episode. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been a good episode. I just said, ex- Garrett, the calm your tits meme. 
I, I, it's not safe for this show. <laughs> it's a good episode, and I I'm excited for the game on Saturday. I think it'll be fun. I'm very excited for East Coast fans who will get to go to a game in person, and I think hopefully the next last two games, um, you know, it really are out there in full every game is a home game fashion. Um, and Jeff. Until next time, I think we'll have a post-game fireside on Sunday. Uh, maybe talk about Georgia Southern. Maybe have a little recruiting news. And we'll see what happens between now and then. And if you have not joined us on the Discord, come do that. Go to our homepage, click on Discord. It'll get you the invite. And until next time, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>